You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Thanks for tuning in. It's Wednesday, it's hump day, and that means it's time for another podcast, and today we're joined by another one of my buddies from the whitetail world, a guy named Justin Czar, and you may know him from bowhunting.com or the Bowhunter Die web show, and today we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about the 2018 whitetail report that is put out annually by QDMA, and specifically today, we're going to talk about, and let me pull it up here, we're going to be talking about hunter numbers and hunter spending uh, in the hunting industry, the, the hunting community, and we're just going to break those down. We're gonna, going to talk about uh, the decline of hunters and the decline of spending by hunters over the last five years and uh, talk about uh, specific states and just, I guess it's almost like a BS session because uh, I looked at this report that uh, our good friend Lindsey Thomas Jr. sent me and uh, we're going to talk about it today and I thought, you know what? Let's get Justin Czar on the phone because he always has something to say about things like this. And uh, so that's what today's podcast is about. And the good thing is I, is I scheduled this series with Justin. I don't know. I don't necessarily know what it's going to be about, but he's scheduled to be on the podcast after this one three additional times. And uh, I think we're going to talk about some serious topics and we're also going to talk about some fun topics because what would the nine finger chronicles podcast be if it was serious all the time it would be boring and no one would listen to it so that's what we're going to be talking about today now real quick um commercial ozonics i mean you guys have over this last uh, two or three weeks i've uh, put out a lot of content regarding ozonics talking about how i like ozonics um if you haven't had the opportunity to 
already, go check out the last uh, one of the last podcasts I've done called Ozonics, Real People, Real Results. And it's a podcast where I interview four people and we talk about, you know, their experience with Ozonics, why they like it. I'm a huge, I'm definitely a huge fan of it. So, um, you know, if you haven't had the opportunity to learn about what Ozonics is and the power of ozone, you need to go to uh, ozonicshunting.com and uh, be sure to enter the discount code nine fingers one seven. So that's the number nine followed by the word fingers. One seven nine fingers one seven, and you will receive a discount of seventy five dollars off of all orders over three ninety nine and up. So that's a really good discount, especially if you're looking to uh, get into Ozonics. And then uh, here at the end of the month, in the beginning of April, uh, that discount code is going to change. So if you like this discount and have been holding off, uh, I strongly suggest buying Ozonics and using that discount code now because uh, due to them going direct, they've been changing some things and I'll have a new offer for you guys starting on April 1st. So there's that. Now, I think that's it, man. Huge shout out to uh, all the other partners and thanks again for tuning in, guys. Last thing I want to say is please go and on all the social media, whether that's Instagram or Facebook, not only follow the Nine Finger Chronicles, uh, but follow the Sportsman's Nation as well and listen to all the other uh, podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network, not only on the Whitetail feed, but now on the big game feed as well. Lots of great content by lots of great hosts, man. I'm telling you, we put out a lot of great content. And uh, now I'm just rambling. I'm done talking. Let's get into today's Whitetail 2018 Whitetail Report with our good buddy, Justin Czar. All right, on the podcast with me right now, and I don't know, how many times have you been on the podcast? I think this might be three or four now three or four like that okay so mr justin czar welcome back to the nine finger chronicles podcast well thank you for having me here i assume that the first couple times i didn't do so bad that i got fired (laughs) so that that's a good sign anyways well i i'm also running low on on people to reach out Uh, to i understand (laughs) bottom of the barrel so Man, uh, we had a little bit of a conversation at the ATA show this year, and then I followed up with another phone call. And long story short, we decided to do, uh, right now we're scheduled for four podcasts over the next two months, and the it's going to be a series where it's just going to be me and you talking about hunting-related things. Maybe it's gear, maybe it's strategy, who the hell knows at this point because I don't plan for anything. I, I guess I planned a little bit for <laughs> for today's podcast, but um, with all that said, right, this series needs a name. I know, and now that you said that, I'm going to be like racking my brain to come up right. with like a cool name. That's always such the, the hardest part. Right. You know, we could do like what a lot of bands do and just like come up with random words and put them together. <laughs> and we have like a band name that doesn't actually mean anything, but Velvet it sounds fence. cool. There you go. <laughs> that sounds dumb. 
it does kind of sound dumb. We're not going with that one. No, let's let's pass on that one. But I was thinking something like the Czar Report, uh, because your last name is Czar. Obviously, that's not going <laughs> that too far is. out there. But let's 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 brainstorm for just a couple minutes. What do you think? What do, what are what do you think that we're going to accomplish in this mini series? Oh boy! Now we have to accomplish something. Here, <laughs> we're setting goals. Uh well, I guess for me, anyways, I'd like to just uh, for, I like just talking through things. You know, right. a lot of times, you know, we write these articles, and I spend a lot of my time brainstorming ideas for things to talk about on bowhunting.com, or I'm looking at analytics or reports of, you know, trends and whatnot. And sometimes I think like well, you have to talk these things out to really like get all these ideas out and see kind of what what sticks. So that's kind of like my goal, anyways, for going into this is to have engaging topics that hunters are talking about and then figure out, you know, kind of what we want to do from there. Right. Okay. All right. Um, then, you, you, okay, so you know, like, how they how they say you're supposed to pick your porn name, right? It's like oh <laughs> your pet and the street you live on or something like right? that. Sure. So I would be like, I don't know, this is going to be dumb, but I would be Molly, Molly Fourth, Molly Fourth. Which doesn't that kind sound, of sounds like that kind of sounds like a girl's name. To I know me. it is. It is. So I would be like Sam Victor. That kind of. I mean, that might work. That that sounds badass. Not gonna lie. Yeah, that, that's a pretty strong name. I would move out of the. If I knew a guy named Sam Victor was walking down the hallway right towards me, I would get out of his way. I agree. Okay. So, can we do that with hunting? Like, can we take a like whitetail? And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe we're just already wasting our time doing this. I think we need to sleep on it and sleep come up it. with something better and okay. then have it for the next one. All right. Sounds good. I'll uh, For those of you who are listening, please don't turn off right now. Just wait a little bit because we are going to have some engaging conversation. But uh, we would love to hear what you guys think that this mini series should be called right so the first this first one obviously isn't going to have a name it's just going to be called justin czar talks with dan johnson i think i might just call it <laughs> i might just call it that very engaging right. people are going to tune in like crazy right right i'm going to come up with something good don't you worry okay okay i've cool. got it in me all right well that i'm putting all the responsibility on your shoulders now fair enough okay cool i'll take it so you've been shed hunting at all uh, no, uh, very, very, very little bit to be completely honest with you. Very little bit. I found one teeny tiny little shed antler in a standing bean food plot this last weekend, but I've probably shed hunted for a grand total of about 45 minutes this year. I know you are having a much better shed season than I am yeah. from judging by your social media presence. You know, I, I can't complain. I just wish I, you know, once you get out there and you start finding them, I wish I could get out there and find, like, spend more time walking, but, you know, three kids, full-time job, and then yep. part-time job type responsibilities don't allow you to get out there as much as you probably, as much as I would like, yeah. so. Yeah, I spent uh, I spent a day walking some public land here in Illinois that was more of a scouting trip than a shed hunting trip. Yeah. Um, because it's like two totally different things, at least for me. Like when I'm out looking for sheds, I mean, am I scouting? Yes. But like when I go out to scout, like I, I do, I do this weird thing where I kind of just like stop and look around and try to analyze what I'm seeing yeah. at that point in time. Whereas when you're shed hunting, like it's all about just 
miles and covering ground quick and looking in the obvious spots to try to find sheds. So for me this spring, I've been focusing a little bit more on scouting and not so much on sheds. Um, My buddy Mike that I hunt with picked up the big side of one of the deer that we're hoping to hunt next year, uh, which is cool. So sometimes it's nice when like other people find the shed antlers for you. (laughs) I don't get to keep it, but at least I get to hold it and look at it. So I know that deer's alive. You know, I've got trail camera pictures of plenty of the deer that I was chasing this last year that I know made it all the way through the season and into February and March. So I know the deer are around. So finding their antlers to me isn't as important today as it used to be. You know, I've got piles of shit antlers laying around my house that I don't even remember where I found them or what deer it was. So as I get older, I think the importance of finding shit antlers is a little bit less for me unless there's a deer that has like a a special significance for some reason, but I don't really have any of those this year. Yeah. So if I find more sheds, great. If not, I really don't care. I'm going to focus mostly on, on scouting for this fall and then on, uh, well, turkey hunting season here in about a month or so. Are you going out with uh, Dustin the crew again out in Wyoming? I am planning on going out there for an antelope hunt in August. Yes. Okay. All right. I didn't know if you were going to go, cause I know Clinton, uh, went out there and did some turkey hunting. Are you go? Are you going to go turkey hunting too? Or I am. Just I am. We were going to try to do turkey this year, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Too much travel around. And yeah. if I had to pick one or the other, I'm chasing after the thing with four legs and horns in this case, right? Rather than the bearded animal. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So yeah, for me, turkey is going to be primarily here in Illinois. We're thinking about making a quick trip back to Kansas. Um, where I shot my bird last year, just because that's kind of, it's not that bad of a drive. It's about eight hours. Tags are over the counter. You know, we could do a quick two and a half, three day hunt down there and probably get into some birds. So thinking about doing that one here in a couple weeks, but that'll be kind of a last minute decision if I can sneak away from the wife and kids for a weekend. Right, right. Uh, So when you go to Kansas, is that a eight hour drive over the counter tag, but is the, the, turkey population there really good uh well from what i saw last year yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean uh the this the farm where i killed my bird last year i want to say we saw 50 or 60 turkeys wow. the day before i shot mine and then the day i did shoot mine we probably saw another 30 that day um so yeah i mean it's it's pretty good from what i saw anyways i mean we weren't we weren't there very long so we were kind of thinking you know if we just go back to that same spot you know, or that same farm, it's public area. And we didn't see anybody there last year when we went turkey hunting. So eh, this might be worth a shot, you know, drive down on a Friday afternoon, hunt Saturday, Sunday, Monday morning, and then come home. Yeah. So we're thinking about it. Right. If my wife listens to this, this might be a surprise to her, <laughs> but let's, uh, let's just, I don't think we have any to worry about her listening to this. <laughs> right. Well, I tell you what, my wife, I, I mentioned elk hunting this year and my wife, uh, said oh you're going elk hunting like it's not all i've been talking about the past you know however many months because i didn't get to go last year uh, right so there's gonna she she has heard me say that i'm going elk hunting but there hasn't been a conversation yet about me going elk hunting if that makes sense of course yeah the official conversation yeah the on the record i'm going elk hunting conversation absolutely absolutely totally under totally understand that all right. Well, we better get down to business. Let's um, do it. So 
I got a hold of my buddy, uh, Lindsey Thomas, and he works for, he's the communications director at uh, Quality Deer Management Association. And I said, hey man, send me some data that I can look at. Well, just so happened that they, they recently just put out their whitetail report, which is just this gigantic report of all things like deer and hunting and it's just full of statistics and uh, really good information and narrowing all of that down today i want the topic of conversation to be about hunter recruitment and the decline of hunters in america all right so what i think we should do is start off with some statistics and um Right off the bat, the the statistics that I have in front of me are in 2016, 11.5 million people 16 years of age and older went hunting. Okay, that's 5% uh, of the total U.S. population, averaging 16 days of field. All right, 80% of those 11. 0.5 million hunters pursued big game like deer and elk. 31% pers- uh, pursued small game like squirrels and rabbits. 21% pursued my um, migratory birds like geese and ducks. And then 11% hunted other animals such as coyotes and groundhogs and all like raccoons and stuff. So um, in two in 2011, so they've done this study now from 2000 and 11 to 2016 right there has been a 16 percent decrease that's 2.2 million hunters decreased that have they are no longer in the uh you know less hunters is what i'm getting at right so what i want to talk to you today is and i'll just ask the big vague question first but why do you think that we are seeing a decrease in hunters? 2.2 million over five years. Yeah, that's a lot of people, right? When you sit down and look at the numbers, and it's amazing to me when we have these conversations because I see them come up a lot, whether it's on social media or it's in our forums, and it's like there's these guys out there that are kind of like the naysayers, right? They're like, well, this isn't really happening. The data's flawed or then there's the guys that say well i'm not worried about it that just means less competition in the woods right uh so it's just a very interesting dynamic to me in the hunting world um you know surrounding this particular topic as to why it's happening i think it's going to be almost impossible to point to any one thing right i mean i think there's a, a multitude of different reasons you know one of the ones that that i've been kind of focusing on here lately and, and talking to some people is lack of uh, access to places to go hunting, essentially. I think as those places become harder and harder to come by, uh, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to recruit new hunters, right? Um, so, I mean, even if you recruit somebody, in a lot of places, you don't have anywhere to take them to. Uh, so without somewhere to go hunting, how are you going to recruit new people? I mean, I think that's only one of the many issues that we're facing. You know, I look at my own family, for example, you know, when I was younger, going back into high school, you know, my dad passed away fairly young. You know, he was in his 50s. But, you know, through high school and in my early 20s, like, I was hunting. My dad hunted. My grandfather hunted. Yeah. And, you know, my dad and grandfather both passed away now, and I'm, I'm the only one, right? So 
I think, you know, as we look at, you know, that baby boomer population aging, you know, and some of those, you know, people are passing away or they're getting too old to hunt uh, anymore. You're definitely starting to see, you know, that be a factor as well. Um, but man, I tell you, there's probably a list a mile long of reasons why why people aren't hunting as much as they used to. Right, right. Let's uh, let's dive into some hypotheticals here then, because, you know, aside from an older generation, you know, the baby boomers who came from a completely different era in the United States compared to today, as the as we all see on the news, right, um, where hunting was a little bit probably uh, a little bit more acceptable and more people did it uh, because it was it, it was in tradi- family traditions so to speak and then we have you know lots of people moving away from farms into big cities and you know that whole kind of thing but aside from aside from the baby boomers what else specifically do you think well let me back up let's talk about access cuz that's that's what you that's what you brought up Sure. I know for me personally, when I go and knock on doors, whether to go shed hunting or turkey hunting or try to get uh, permission to go deer hunting, 10 years ago, if I did it and did it right, man, I, I could almost always get on a farm. Five years ago, a little bit less. And today, it, it's very rare if there, if I get access to a property. Uh, whether it's because there's already hunting on it or it's leased by somebody or the farmer doesn't own the property anymore. So have you seen any type of, I guess, access get declined uh, on your end? Sure. Heck yeah. I think we all have. You know, being in Illinois here, when I was a kid growing up, my dad had more spots to go hunt than than we could hunt. So and on any given afternoon when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, it was like, hey, which one of these different places do we feel like going and hunting tonight? And we would pick one. And, you know, over the span of a few years, let's call it five to 10 years, we lost pretty much every piece of property we hunted with the exception of maybe one. Yeah. So now it wasn't like which property do we want to go on? It's OK, flip a coin to see which one of the two stands on the one property we have left are we going to go to? So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think access is a huge deal you know public access people talk about a lot um you know it certainly isn't gaining in most places if anything it's shrinking right um and i think what's you know what's happened is you know back i think back again to when i was younger and it's amazing we've grown up you know you and i are about the same age i'll be 38 this year but we grew up in this uh era where we saw so many things change in our lives you know whether it was technology and the internet kind of coming to be and just all these different changes that have happened. And when I look back to being a young man, you know, I first started hunting. We hunted with a a friend of my dad's on his property that was 80 acres, right? And there was no trail cameras at the time. They didn't exist. There really was no internet. There really was, you know, nothing, you know, other than, you know, guys maybe had a couple pictures of some of the deer they shot in their pickup truck that they would show their buddies. And, you know, back in those days, there may have been four or five of us hunting that 80 acre piece and nobody cared you know it was like the owner didn't care if you wanted to come hunt he was like yeah man let's go hunt i gotta stand over here you know good luck and if one of us over the course of the year shot a halfway decent deer let's say a two-year-old or older everybody was happy and they're like yeah man you killed that deer and you know just look how the times have changed you know you've got you know land values are, are increasing lease prices are increasing guys are buying these farms and what i think is a big problem is you know where 
three or four of us used to hunt that 80 acres. You get one guy that comes in, buys it up, um, kicks everybody else off and, and wants it for himself because now he wants to manage it. He's going to run trail cameras and he's going to plant food plots. He's going to do all these things and he's going to try to grow these deer in hopes of him shooting a bigger deer. So now the thought of him bringing a buddy out or whatever is kind of like, eh, I don't know that I want you to come hunt my farm because I've spent however many hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy the place and all these improvements and everything else. And I kind of want to shoot these deer. So I think a lot of hunters are being displaced by that, by that, you know, habit that we've all kind of just grown accustomed to. And I'm not necessarily saying that this is a bad thing or that there's something wrong with hunting because of it, but it's just the times have changed and a lot of people have been displaced, uh, because of it. You know, you, you've got, you know, some, some people that are, you know, fortunate enough and have worked hard and have amassed a lot of money and been able to go buy big pieces of ground. Um, but now they kick everybody off and, you know, it's reserved for the elite few that are able to go in there, uh, you know, and, and hunt those deer. You get all the guys that have been displaced. Now, what, what are they doing? They're either uh, trying to, you know, band together and, and get a lease, right? If you can get the, the price down low enough. But I mean, even lease prices are through the roof with, you know, the way outfitters will go in and, and pay uh, for some of the stuff. So then they go hunt maybe public land, which, you know, everybody complains that public land is just overrun with too many people. Well, where, where do these guys come from, right? If hunter numbers are declining as a whole, how come there's more people hunting public land? Well, the answer is, I think they're being displaced from other areas. Right. Um, and again, I don't know that there's an answer to this quote unquote problem. This is just kind of my theory on right. why we're seeing some of the stuff going on out there. Yeah. And then you take into consideration some of the hunters that are being displaced and maybe they're just some weekend warriors who are just like, instead of going out, like for me, I've been kicked off multiple properties over the years because of sales or lease rights. And instead of quitting hunting, I went and knocked on more doors, found new land to hunt and just continued to grind it out. Right. Sure. So do you do you feel that there's a good portion of these hunters that are being displaced that are just kind of hanging up their equipment and being like, hey, man, I don't even want to knock on doors anymore. Uh, I think I'm just going to I think I'm just going to quit hunting. Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. You know, I mean, not everybody's is, is eaten up with it as you and I and probably a lot of the guys that, that are listening to this. Right. But when you think about it, like I know plenty of people that I hang out with or am friends with or family with that are more casual type hunters. And, and, you know, if they lose their spot and it's like, you know what, I don't have the money to, and the time and the energy and effort to go out and try to find another one. Like, I'm just going to hang it up and go do something else. I'll right. go fishing or I'll go play golf or I'll do whatever, you know, sit at home, and watch football for all I care. Like, th- I think that happens a lot. Um, sometimes it's hard for us as guys that are like super into and addicted to the stuff to, to fathom that there's other people that hunt that don't care about it as much as we do. <laughs> like it, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around at time, but they're, they're definitely out there. There's no question about that. I mean, I know a few of those guys who have just hung it up because they just didn't have anywhere to go. Right. Right. So the next kind of follow-up question, obviously, and you kind of led into it with some of the comments you made, but money, right? Land's going up, leases are going up. So you have to have a greater disposable income to be able to continue to do what you want to do. If property in the state you live in or area that you live in is being sold and leased up. So do you see this 
eventually becoming a quote unquote rich man's sport? Man, you'd like to say no, but I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with the trends, yeah. right? You know, and you hate to think about that, but the writing's on the wall, at least in certain areas, right? It may not be that way everywhere. Like, luckily for us, you know, some of the Western states have a plethora of public land, far more than we have here in the Midwest, you know, that, that can support some more, you know, hunting on it. You know, here in the Midwest, you know, especially, uh, like, this whole thing is driven by deer, right? I mean, right. white-tailed deer and antlers drives the hunting industry as a whole. Um, so as, you know, people put a higher value on antlers and on the success of, of managing and shooting these more mature, mature deer, they're willing to pay more for leases. They're willing to pay more per acre for farms. Um, so yeah, I mean, in that regard, it's definitely, you know, becoming or has already in some cases become kind of a, a rich man's sport, so to speak. You know, there'll always be opportunities. I mean, for the guy that wants to go out, buy a budget bow, you know, on the cheap, get some used gear, go out. There is still some good public hunting opportunities here in the Midwest. Don't get me wrong. You could go out and still have an opportunity to enjoy the outdoors and hunt and shoot some animals. But let's face it, we're all kind of getting to the point where like we, we all want to shoot big bucks, right? right? I mean, that's like, that's kind of just what we want to do. And, you know, those opportunities are, are, are much further and fewer between, you know, on some of those public lands than they are in other places. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely trending that way. I mean, I don't think it'll ever and I sure hope it never gets to the point where the average person isn't able to afford to do anything, you know, hunting related, because uh, I certainly don't think it's there yet. Um, but I guess only time will tell. Yeah. Which kind of the next the next transition here is the big racks right so we have a, the hunting industry who and it's re there's really no conversation around it everything that they do from a marketing standpoint is about big racks right everybody wants to shoot a big racked animal so do you feel that the hunting industry and the way that they market the the products and the i guess the industry as a whole has something to do with this this hunter decline whether it is through you know people not being able to kill big bucks because they don't have big bucks in their area or they're on public land or the fact that a guy like me let's say who wins the lottery tomorrow or whatever I'm, the first thing i would do is go out and buy a gigantic piece of property and hunt it for me and my family right so i sure. would i would be displacing hunters at at that point to grow to get deer to an older age class so that their antlers may get bigger right do you do you feel that the hunting industry is kind of also responsible for hunter decline uh, i don't know that i would go that far i mean i think maybe unintended to yeah. a certain degree possible you know but i mean i'm not going to fault any company for trying to market their product as something that's going to help anybody be more successful at what they want to do right i right. mean it, it happens everywhere whether it's that this fishing lure is going to help you catch more fish or this driver is going to help you hit the golf ball farther or this site's going to help you shoot your gun more accurately like we all want to get better at what we do and what we enjoy as our hobby so is it maybe an un unintended side effect possibly you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, anybody's doing anything malicious there, yeah. you know, but, and I think it's more than just the hunting industry, right? I mean, it's, 
to a certain degree, like I blame social media for a lot of things that are going wrong in life, you know, and I hate to say that as somebody who, you know, to a certain degree makes a part of my living off of social media. Um, but man, I tell you, you know, the quest for people to, you know, get the gratification of that, like that share, that comment, that pat on the back, that attaboy by, you know, posting the picture of their big deer or whatever their accomplishment may be in life. Um, you know, has really just helped further that along. It's kind of thrown gasoline on that fire. The fire used to just be going to your local pro shop, hanging out there and showing everybody that walked in the picture of the big buck you killed or trying yeah. to, let's say, get your picture in the back of North American Whitetail or Bowhunter magazine. I remember growing up, like, that's all I wanted was someday to shoot a buck, send my picture in to, to Bowhunter magazine and, and see myself there. And now we've just totally bypassed that whole process. You don't need those media outlets anymore. You've got your own uh, soapbox to stand on in the form of social media, you know, which has just helped further uh, people's desire for notoriety and in all aspects of life, right? Not just hunting. So I think there's just this perfect storm of things that have happened, um, you know, that have put us where we're at today. And there's no doubt about it. I mean, hunter numbers are declining. I don't think they'll necessarily ever go away because I don't think we're necessarily losing hunters because people are in general losing interest in, in hunting. I think it's, you know, it's going to reduce to this, it's going to find its level, so to speak, you know, yeah. and it's going to be reduced to this is the number of hunters that we can support on the landscape with the way that things look today. And then we're going to hopefully just kind of level out and that's where it's going to be at. Okay. And now this is, this would be a, a hard question to answer if I was a landowner and I was also a hardcore deer hunter, right? But do you think that it is the responsibility of, let's say, someone who owns thousands of acres of lands and plays that, you know, is a, also a hardcore deer hunter that's really managing their property to bring other hunters in to try to do their part to, as far as recruitment is concerned? Sure. That's a horribly difficult question to answer, right? Because again, these are people that have worked hard, made smart decisions in life, and have put themselves into a position to be able to afford to do these things. No knock against them. I think there's a lot of this weird thing going on in our society where we want to like criticize people for being successful in today's day and age. It's a very weird thing to me. Um, so I'm certainly not doing that by any means, but it definitely puts you in a precarious position where, again, now you've displaced all these people, you've got this big track of land, you've spent maybe millions of dollars managing it, like who should or should you not bring in to be able to kind of enjoy that with you? You know, are you really limiting that access? So that's a hard question to answer, man. And I'm not gonna fault anybody for saying they wanna be to a certain degree somewhat selfish about that. I I can't fault them for doing that. Um, Is it potentially contributing to a bigger problem? Maybe, you know, but again, I mean, who? you and I would probably be hypocrites if we said we would do anything different. Right. 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 Because I, I know, I mean, would I maybe bring some of my close friends in there and would I sure ask them to, to pitch in and help out and scout and plant food plots with me and enjoy everything that I'm doing? Sure. I would, you know, you don't want to necessarily hand it to them, but I'm also not going to just let everybody and their brother come out there and, and, kind of reap the the rewards of, of my hard work or luck if I win the lottery right, in that right. case, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's a really difficult question. And I see where people get put into positions because I've known people that have gone out and bought property and, right. you know, 
and then all their buddies want to come hunt it and they get put in a, a weird situation where it's like, hey man, like, I just can't have everybody else out here. I feel like if I let one guy, then I got to let the next guy and the next guy. And, you know, it does have a tendency to cause hard feelings. I mean, I know people that have, you know, bought property and then all of a sudden you start hearing from people that you haven't talked to in years. Like, hey man, <laughs> wanted to reconnect with you. I remember when we used to, you know, go hunt wherever. I heard you bought some plays, dude. I'd love to come out and go hunting with you. And it's like, oh, geez, okay, well, thanks for the phone call, but no thanks. Yeah, right. So then the other side of this is is not only do we have a reduce in numbers, right? So we have 2.2 million less hunters over the last five years, but those 11 or what, what is it here? I think it was 1.5 million in total hunters spent 24. billion in hunting in 2016. Now, that is a pretty big economy, right? I mean, that's a a big economy. And I don't know if you noticed this at the ATA show this year, but I, I just felt that there was a lot less companies there and a lot less people like dealers and mom and pop shops there and i think that has to do with this five-year decline in hunters spending which says 11 billion less dollars or 30 percent over the the past five years as well so yeah i'd be interested in maybe looking delving a little bit deeper into those numbers to see if there's some sort of breakdown to tell us are these numbers is this people, is this less license sales, less gear product that was purchased? Is it, you know, what, what, what are those numbers made up of? Right. Right. It's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to say unless I know that. Okay. So here I have that information in front of me. Okay. Okay. So 2016 hunting expenditures. Okay. So that's $25.6 billion uh, in 2016. 48% was gear and equipment. Okay. We have licensing at 3% only for licensings and fees. Uh, 11% is under the other trip costs. We have 2% for lodging and 13% for transportation and 10% for food. Okay. And then there's a a 13%, which is called other. And and is that breakdown roughly the same for both years, like percentage wise, like from the decline to, or where it started through the decline of the percentages, roughly the same. So we declined like in all aspects. Yeah. I don't know about that. I just, I'm looking at a pie graph with with the breakdown. So all I know is that in that those are the percentages for that 25.6 billion got it got it which is still a lot of money right it's still a lot of money and as long as there's that much money involved you know you've got somewhat of a certain degree of protection right but in this modern weird age of what i call the the e-mobs Right. Uh, the, the, in the social justice warriors, as a lot of people refer to them as in this weird mob mentality where like hunting is this bad thing. Like even that big economy sometimes doesn't, doesn't save you from the, I guess the wrath of the, the e-mobs as I like to call them. So I don't know, man, I don't, I really don't know. Right. So, so this is where, you know, the, the money talks, bullshit walks kind of, you know, 
when we can't show our lawmakers that we let's say that that 20 that 25.6 billion goes down every single year that we lose hunters because there's less hunters then the economy becomes less and then we we can't justify to the lawmakers or to the non-hunters saying that hey we have an economy here and it's good for the economy um that shrinks do you think that certain laws it's going to be easier for the anti-hunters to maybe pass laws because of a shrinking economy? Um, potentially, right? There's, a, there's always that potential. Um, but, you know, with the way that our, our system is set up, I mean, and I think we saw this in the last, you know, presidential election was that, you know, our system was designed specifically so that people in a certain geographical region that maybe has a high concentration of, of population can't dictate what happens in the rest of the country, right? So when you look at, let's say, a state like Illinois, you know, yes, we have a massive population of people in Chicago, most of whom have probably never hunted, uh, don't care about hunting, and may even vote or, or be in favor of getting rid of hunting. But, you know, we're still broken down like any other state into, you know, regional areas, and we have our senators and our state representatives, and they all get together in Springfield, and they vote on Kind of this legislation and when you look at illinois as a whole and i'll just use this state because it's where i live and i'm familiar with it you know there's only so many representative areas around chicago that that may have that view whereas you look at the rest of the state which is traditionally more rural more conservative more friendly to hunting fishing the outdoors that types of things like it provides some insulation to a certain degree um against those types of things from happen, but it certainly does not make them impossible. I think as we've seen in, I think it was New Jersey where they just got rid of the bear hunt, um, which was just reinstated by, I think it was maybe Chris Christie or somebody, like reinstated, it was there for five, six years. Now he's out, they've got a new governor, uh, and now the bear hunt's going away again. So, I mean, this certainly isn't something that we are immune to, right? Which is why I think it's more important than ever for hunters to you know, stick together, make your voices heard, talk to your local representatives, join up with organizations that are out there fighting to defend hunting. Don't just sit on the sidelines and think that like, oh, somebody else is going to take care of it for me. Um, you know, do something now before it becomes an issue. Yeah, makes a lot of sense, man. So here, let's see. So kind of moving on from from that point, obviously, the more money an economy, uh, uh, a, a specific economy makes, the more money, um, the more say I would say we would have in lawmaking and stuff like that. And with five percent of the total U.S. population being hunters, there is a much larger percentage out there that is not only, I guess, not necessarily all anti-hunters, but I guess not don't really care one way or the other if if hunting happens you know what i mean sure so i guess it's and no little... and and i think when you hear people talk what everybody usually says is like those are the people we need to be most concerned about right the right. people that don't necessarily right. care one way or another because there's a far larger group of those people than there are of people that are anti-hunting it's all the people in the middle that aren't on one side of the fence or the other those are the ones in the end that are going to be the decision makers they, they've got the biggest voice and that's why it's just so important for hunters to represent themselves in the proper light so that you're not put it, pushing those people away from hunting 
you know, and I think, you know, as you start to see, um, and I'll just, you know, drop a couple names of people off the top of my head. When you see a guy like Cameron Haynes out there, right, who love him or hate him, right? I know, I know that he's kind of a polarizing figure to a certain degree with some people, but he's a great voice for hunting. He is a good advocate for hunting. He portrays it in, in the light that has actually swayed, I think, a lot more people towards hunting than away from it. And, you know, when you when you see a guy like that and the good that he's doing for hunting, uh, when you see somebody like Eva Shockey, right, who, again, you know, from the inside of the hunting community perspective, like I think everybody likes Eva. She's a super nice person. If you've ever met her, very down to earth. But if you had to pick, you know, a female ambassador for the hunting community to go out and represent us, I don't know that you could pick a better person than Eva Shockey. She's very well spoken, intelligent, likable and represents hunting in a great light. And I think all hunters, you know, need to kind of, you know, take a cue from these guys in the way that we represent ourselves. I know that there's a lot of people out there that still to this day are kind of like that, you know, just in your face, you know, if you don't like it, tough shit, I don't care type of mentality. But, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, that does more harm for our cause than it does good. Um, you know, a guy like Ted Nugent, again, love him or hate him, I think to a certain degree, in some cases, has has turned some hunters off from hunting because of his personality, you know, and some of the abrasiveness maybe that 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 he has. While hunters love him and hold him in a very esteemed light, there's a lot of non-hunters that have, that have kind of gone that other direction. And we just need to be careful that you know the people that we put on these pedestals to to represent the hunting community uh, are representing us in a light that's going to be more beneficial for the long-term survival of, of hunting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, again, really good points. Now, you know, we've, we've talked about this, this data here that QDMA put out about a decline over the past five years. Now there's some other interesting data that comes from this. Not all regions of the United States are seeing a decrease, right? So sure. they have a they have kind of a uh, a breakdown of the United States and Canada, and they have the let me see the West, the Midwest, the Northeast, and the Southeast. Okay, and there's a decline in the Northeast. There's a decline over. These are these are average percents so there's a decline in the northeast a decline in the midwest a decline in the west and also a decline in canada with that said there has been a nine percent increase over the past 10 years of hunters in the southeast and those states are alabama arkansas florida georgia louisiana mississippi north carolina for some reason oklahoma's in there South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. So my question to you is why why do you why do you think that the southeast is going against the grain and showing an increase? <laughs> I wish I knew. I don't know if it's um, you know booming populations of animals, maybe to a certain degree. Like when I look at some of these areas that are declining, like I feel like you know, certain areas, at least here in Illinois, I know we've had kind of a decline in our deer population, some of our harvest numbers. Um, maybe the Southeast isn't isn't being subjected to some of these other things we've been talking about with uh, the displacement of hunters because it's not a trophy hotspot the way that the Midwest is. And, so, and, you know, 
when you look at the West, like I don't know that people are buying large tracts of lands out there. I can only kind of talk for the Midwest, but maybe they're immune to some of these other factors, so to speak, that are causing less hunters. I, mean, I don't know. That's kind of just my best guess, maybe off the top of my head. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I see. I also see that states in the Southeast have are, are also what you would like a traditional type of hunting where big bucks are awesome, but people just love to get out and, you know, go hunting as opposed to the Midwest where I think there's such a focus on large racks in the Midwest, like Iowa and Illinois, where you're going to find a lot more people with the big dollars going and buying these farms and buying these leases. Cause I mean, if I had to pick between two States to lease a property in, uh, I'm probably not going to go to South Carolina when I can go to Iowa. You know what I mean? Sure. So, um, which let's see, I, I think, uh, the largest increase over the last 10 years in percentage is Tennessee. So Tennessee has had a 35% increase in in uh hunters yeah. in the last yeah. uh yeah years. i'm looking at that i see that so yes yeah, so they're up to three hundred and two thousand. is that the chart you're looking at Three hundred thousand yep. deer hunters yep which is crazy because you look at a state like illinois at 244 we're down nine percent yeah so yeah. but i also think like tennessee and maybe a state like i don't know where kentucky falls in this list Kentucky's up 10% to 350,000. I think like both of those states are experiencing, you know, booms in deer populations. They're ex right. experiencing bigger deer than they have in the past. Um, you know, whereas Illinois is kind of trending in the, in the other direction. So maybe it's just hunters traveling. You know, that was one of the things right. I thought too, is, you know, maybe some of this stuff is, is hunters traveling to some of these hot spot areas. Cause I don't know exactly what these numbers are based on. Is that just right. license sales? So does that just mean that we're getting more license sales in, in Tennessee? And, and if so, why are people going there? Are there more generous bag limits? Is there a longer season? Right. Is there more, more land? Is it e more easily accessible? Are the leases cheaper? What, you know, what are the factors that are making 35% increase in deer hunters in Tennessee? Right. You know, kind of hard to say. Right. And it, it's, it's crazy. I'm again, looking at these numbers and I always hear, I always hear people bitch and complain about living in Pennsylvania and how the you know there's so much pressure there in all of these states and Pennsylvania has 700,000 hunters is what this chart shows and that is higher than the next which is either Wisconsin or Minnesota by almost 100,000 Sure. So Pennsylvania is also a really big state. Right. Yeah. I, guess <laughs> I don't know. Like land area. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You're right. Land area. Yeah. So I guess it'd be interesting to see like the breakdown. And I know it's still very, very high on the list as far as like right. number of hunters, let's say per square mile or whatever the case may be. But sometimes you got to look at the size of the state. And then in a lot of cases, you got to look at like what the, the timbered area of the state is like. Pennsylvania is a pretty timber heavy state in a lot of it. Right. And so is Wisconsin, like the northern half of Wisconsin is pretty much all timber. Southern half's a lot more farmland. You look at like there's places in Illinois where you feel like you get out of the field, you could look and you can't see a tree in any direction. You know, a lot of Illinois is just flat farmland. So we can't support as many deer or as many hunters right. because we have, you know, less timbered areas. So, right. you know, there's a lot of things that go in. Numbers can be very deceiving, right? Depending on how you look at them. Absolutely. So as a hunter, 
I'm looking at this same chart, and I'm seeing that there is a 30% decrease in hunters, only 60,000 hunters for North Dakota and 67,000 for South Dakota, which, you know, I feel like I have my ear to the, the wire when it comes to, you know, feeling out where the hotspots are in the United States. And two states that I always think about going and hunting are North Dakota in South Dakota. So for a guy who wants to go out and take a trip and I see there's a 30% increase in hunters, which tells me maybe that's because of a shrinking deer population, but I doubt it. That tells me that there's going to probably be better quality deer and better numbers there for an out of state trip. What are your thoughts? I would agree with that. I think there's been plenty of articles, right? Written out there, like how to figure out where you should go if you want to do a trip. And one right. of the things they always look at is the number of tags sold versus maybe the deer population or how big the state is. And they tell you to go to those areas with lower deer numbers, or not lower deer numbers, but lower hunter numbers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to go travel out of state to somewhere that's like ultra pressured, right? right? Like maybe unless you've got like a buddy that, you know, owns a bunch of property and he's cool enough to come let you hunt it, you know, and it's privately managed and it doesn't experience that same pressure. But yeah, nobody's clamoring to go run to Pennsylvania and go hunt, you know, state game lands out there, you know. So I can definitely see those as being kind of factors, I guess, when you look at planning an out-of-state hunt. Like, right. where do I want to go? Yeah, that's definitely one of the big factors that people look at. And I better, I got to clear something up here. I was wrong. Um, Texas is actually the highest, the state yeah, with the they, highest number of deer hunters, and that's 7,000. 738,000 yeah roughly everything's bigger in texas they say that's including right. including their deer hunting uh population that's that's pretty amazing 738,000 deer hunters yeah and, and again they have a gigantic state right sure sure as far huge as, yeah one uh one state that's not on here and i i don't know why but i'm curious is alaska i don't see any I don't know. Maybe because there's no deer. There's, I mean, there's only a couple species of deer. There's no whitetail deer, and maybe they don't. Yeah. They don't, anyway, that's just. Yeah, or problem. maybe they didn't report back with uh, data or something like that when they reached out. Yeah, I don't see them on the list here. Right. So. Well, it's just weird because like some of the states on here have asterisks, like California, Montana, Oregon, Utah, which I would, yeah, data not provided or unavailable. So right. on this, maybe they just forgot about Alaska. Poor Alaska. They're always getting forgot. I know except when it comes to the oil. Exactly. So I want to ask you your personal opinion as the hunting community, not necessarily as a rich hunter who has a ton of ground or the hunting industry, but as the hunting community, which I consider me and you and the people who listen to this podcast um, are as far as those people are involved. Are, are, uh, anyway, what I'm getting at is what do you think – any ideas that we as a community can do to help recruit more hunters to step in and, you know, test the waters of hunting? Sure. Well, back to my point from earlier, I think a lot of it has to do with how we represent ourselves in the public eye. You know, it used to be almost impossible for a hunter to get his message out, right? Because there was no mainstream media outlets that are talking about hunting or covering hunting. But again, as, as bad as social media may be in some cases it's created an extremely powerful tool to get your message out there right um so i think it's very important to hunters to you know be educated convey our message in 
the proper format. You know, the, the biggest thing that like, when you look at people that don't hunt, you know, and you ask them, what do you think about hunting? Like, what, what is some of the most common things you get? I know for me anyways, it's like, oh my gosh, how can you kill Bambi, yeah. right? Like that's the, probably the number one thing you hear from somebody that doesn't hunt. And they may, they may not be opposed to eating meat. They may not even be opposed to eating venison if you bring them some. But something about yeah. the hunting process like that just doesn't necessarily sit well with them. Uh, and it kind of stems back to this, like, how can you kill something you love? How can you kill something so beautiful? You're just, you know, bloodthirsty, you right. know, whatever killers. Um, so I just think it's really, really important for people as hunting the community to, to you know, portray ourselves in a way to try to get through to people that you know hunting isn't about killing we we kill because we have to 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 be successful at hunting right. um but that's not ultimately like the goal isn't necessarily we don't hunt because we want to kill per se right right so i think like that's a huge thing like public perception i know there was a there was a thing on uh snl i think it was this last week or the week before where right, they did right. this, with this gun debate and then hunters and, and trying to like just you know, when you look at, you know, something like that, like to a lot of people, I mean, that is their view of hunting, you know, so it's just important that we have the correct message to combat that to people uh, to try to win them ultimately to our sides. Because, I mean, make no mistake, it is kind of a war, right? And you want to want to win people over to our side versus having them go to the other side. So just being careful about what we portray, uh, you know, on social media, on YouTube. I mean, gosh, there's so many hunting videos on YouTube that I watch and it's like, you know what, if this was only the hunting community watching these things and other hunters that understood the killing and the blood part of hunting, it would be one thing. But when there's millions of non-hunters out there and you see these videos that are glorifying like massive amount of blood, blood sprayed everywhere, like it's in the title of the video, extremely <laughs> graphic, like what, it's just like, you know, these people just don't realize the damage that those types of videos cause to the average person that's watching them. Right. You know, and, and they're just trying to get more YouTube likes or watches and they're trying to maybe monetize their little videos. And, you know, again, probably an unintended consequence of what they're doing. So I think the biggest thing we can do to help the future of hunting portray it in a light that's going to keep people on our side. Number two I talked about is kind of just reaching out to your local representatives when applicable, joining up with um, associations that are out there fighting for hunting. Um, those are two big things. And then, you know, recruiting recruiting hunters like uh, and I know it, it's a hard thing to do because a lot of us are to a certain degree selfish about right. the deer that we're chasing right. and that we want to shoot but sometimes you know for the greater good of things swallowing your pride a little bit and finding the opportunity to take somebody out there it's easy to take your own kids right because it's like we want our kids to be successful we want them to follow in our footsteps and we're perfectly okay if our kid comes out and shoots the giant buck that we've been chasing we're not always okay when it's somebody else Right. So I think maybe taking a look inside of ourselves and remembering that it is only just a deer and we're out there to enjoy the sport of hunting and, and what it gives to us, you know, aside from big racks. Uh, you know, if we can manage to swallow our pride every once in a while, bring somebody out hunting with you that hasn't hunted before. Um, it certainly isn't going to hurt our cause. That's for sure. Right. All good points, my friend. Um Man, I had a I had something I was gonna say, but I forgot about it because I didn't write it down, and that's uh, that's a flaw on my part. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have that same flaw. Don't worry, a lot of us do. So, with um, you know, you mentioned selfishness, and one thing that I 
you know, I always say to myself, okay, this year I'm going to pay more attention to con- conservation. And I think by having this platform, I focused a lot more on that. But before that, I'm probably, I think I can put myself into the same category as most people where they, they really want to do something, but then life gets in the way. Right. And you're just like, man, I, I was going to go and maybe volunteer and do something, but now I got to watch my kids. I got a sick kid or I, I was going to, uh, do, you know, maybe donate some money, but I, I, I forgot and I didn't, you know, and we have this, we have this saying, you know, that people have started coming up with where license and you know, licensing and tags is not enough for conservation anymore. We have to do more. So, I mean, do you think that it's now time for people to kind of start reaching into their pockets and donating to conservation causes? Sure. I mean, money makes the world go wrong, right? So, and whether that's donating to, you know, different organizations um, or, I don't know, fundraisers, whatever it may be, um, you know, like, or just joining the Sportsman's Alliance or any of these other different organizations that are out there. Um, yeah, I definitely think, I mean, reaching in your pockets and donating a little bit here and there certainly is not a bad thing. Agree. Agree. So let's see here. Do you have, you know, we've, we kind of covered a, a big, broad topic this, sure. uh, on this podcast, but do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, not to, I don't want to make this, it's, it's sometimes we get into these uh, grooves where we're talking about these things and it seems like, you know, the end is near for right. hunting and it's this bleak, dark picture. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen. I am very optimistic about the future of hunting. Honestly, I love to see the trend of more people coming out as hunters, as outdoorsmen. Um, outdoorsmen, I sound like a <laughs> redneck right there, but I mean, <laughs> There's a lot more like I feel like um, people in the public eye that are coming out and not being afraid to stand up and say, yes, I'm a hunter. You know, you've seen it. You know, Trump's kid, you know, Don Jr. is a big hunter and he's been a big advocate of that. But when you see a guy like, let's say, Chris Pratt, right, who is a Hollywood actor, you know, he's in he lives in a world that is probably very anti hunting in that kind of small community to come out and talk about hunting or talk about farming and raising and killing animals and eating their meat like that, that's a that's a big deal. Um, and it's great to see, you know, you, back to the Cam Haynes thing, you roll into like a Joe Rogan, right, who's had a tremendous influence and reaches a lot of people through his podcast. Uh, it's great to see some of these things happening. And I think that tide to a certain degree is starting to turn, right, in favor of hunting. I have people that I grew up with that have never hunted in their lives, that know I'm a hunter, that have actually reached out to me and been like, hey, man, thinking about trying to get into hunting, right? Thinking about maybe trying bow hunting. I listen to Rogan a lot. I've listened to Cam Haynes. Like they make it sound really interesting. I'm over here going like, man, I really failed in my duty as a hunter because I've known you for 20 years (laughs) and I've never inspired you to want to go hunt. But, you know, it's cool to see some of these things happening. So I really do think like if we just keep the pedal to the gas, right, and keep moving forward in the direction that we're going uh, in terms of public uh, perception of hunting, uh, and we, we and we have a voice that's unified to fight back against some of the negative messages that are out there. Uh, you know, I think hunting is going to be around for hopefully forever. 
um, you know, for my kids and their kids and, and subsequent generations to enjoy. So, you know, I am optimistic about it in spite of some of the challenges, some of the downward decline, maybe of some of these numbers, uh, I'm optimistic that, you know, things are going to be okay in the end. That's a good way to end it, my friend. Thanks. I, uh, I'm positive. Yeah, I try to be positive, man. That's good. Yeah. The world needs a lot more positivity. I agree. hundred percent. Well, Mr. Czar, man, I, I, how do you think the, this first one turned out? Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, it's some, some dark subjects, right. all things considered. Sometimes it's more enjoyable to just talk about what we're going to do when we go out and try to chase, chase deer and other animals around. Um, but it's also something that I think a lot of people avoid talking about, uh, right. in depth and, and, Sometimes it's hard to maybe shine a light on yourselves and, and think like maybe I'm a little bit of a part of this problem. So it's just a good good conversation to have. So I think it went well. Man, I'm looking forward to doing some of the, some more of these in the future. You know, one thing I do want to mention is that um, uh, we're working on some stuff at bowhunting.com, mm -hmm. um, specifically as it pertains to the land access programs that okay. some of these states have. You know, Kansas has a great program, which is their walk-in hunt areas, uh, which is essentially privately owned land that is publicly accessible for hunting. Wisconsin has a similar pro, uh, program in place um, where the, the state you know, rewards these landowners for allowing people to hunt on their property, um, whether it be in the form of a tax credit or whatever the case may be. It's a great program that allows up uh, more access to, to lands for hunting. Uh, so we're doing some kind of editorial pieces on researching, like, how did these programs come about? How well are they working? How are they managed? How's it helping the state? And we're hoping to shed some more light on this type of stuff and maybe, you know, in the long term future, get some more um, support from the industry, whether it's maybe the ATA or just other companies within the, within the industry to go uh, and try to get similar programs started in other states. I think access to land is one of the, the bigger problems we face as hunters. Um, so, you know, if we can actually shed some light on, on, um, programs that are helping to solve that problem, uh, and maybe try to get them in other places, I feel like we're putting our best foot forward to, to combat this issue. Uh, so it's something that we're working on here, kind of in the background, we're in the preliminary stages of planning some of these articles out, reaching out to some state agencies, doing some interviews. Uh, so sometime probably this summer, uh, we're going to have a, you know, a pretty big kind of expose come up on bowhunting.com about these programs what they are, how to take advantage of them, and maybe why other states should be uh, participating. So I'm, pr I'm pretty excited about that. I like it. That's awesome. You're walking the walk. Trying to, anyways. Trying to. My buddy, uh, my buddy Jason McKee works over at, uh, at Hunter Specialties, and him and I were talking about this issue uh, you know, a, couple, a couple weeks ago. He was at a I don't know, some hunting camp with a bunch of industry people and they were, you know, everybody was kind of bitching about the, you know, the lack of hunting and sales being down and everything else. And he was sitting around going, Hey, you know, well, how come we're not talking about land access? Because I moved to a new state to take a job and I can't find anywhere to go hunt with my kids. Right. So like, how am I supposed to get them into hunting if I can't find somewhere to hunt? So that's kind of what spurred this whole conversation a couple months ago. And we've kind of taken it upon ourselves to take that ball and run with it. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about how that's going to shake out in the end. Man, I'm looking forward to what's going to come of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So, well, I'll see you in two weeks, man. Yeah. Sounds good, buddy. I hope uh, I can get out and find some more shed antlers and have something exciting to talk about uh, on the next, on the next episode. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's podcast. And if you haven't already, you can find QDMA's Whitetail Report 2018 online. So uh, just uh, go to QDMA.com, and uh, I think it's QDMA.com. Anyway, just Google QDMA, and uh, you'll be able to uh, find this uh, 2018 report. Look through it. A lot of data. I'm a data guy, so uh, a lot of... uh, uh, statistics in there about uh, you know like what we talked about today and a lot more I think it's like a 40 67 68 67 page uh, document really interesting so uh, if, if you get the time please go check it out huge shout out to Justin for not only doing four more of these or three more of these but uh, taking time today to hop on the podcast man I know he's got kids too Uh, his life is crazy busy huge shout out to each and every one of you who has taken time to download and listen to this podcast man shout out to that huge shout out to gearhead wasp ozonics ripcord exodus bighorn outfitters lone wolf uh thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you for your support because without your support this podcast would not be happening so please if you haven't already go out and support those companies because they support this podcast show it up god man getting tired i'm starting to fade i just got a couple minutes left johnson you can do this all right here we go i'm back on the horse i'm gonna finish this podcast strong if you haven't already (laughs) go check out the nine finger chronicles on social media facebook instagram Uh, go check out sportsman's nation podcast network social media as well on instagram and facebook and if you haven't already go enter your email address at the bottom of every page on the uh on sportsmansnation.com and uh, what you'll be able to do is that's basically signing up for the newsletter that's going to be starting to happen at some point in time other than that guys if you're going to be in a tree please for the love of god wear your damn safety harness have a good week